This is the last week to get the app at the price we're selling it at right now. We're going to double the price next week. So you better get your apps right now while the price is cheap. Now, two times zero, zero, but it will be better for you to go ahead and get it now. Seriously, if you don't have the app, uh, uh, get the app. Use it for your bulletin. We've cut back on, I can see we've cut back on the number of bulletins we're printing already. So when you use that app, uh, that's great. And uh, the same thing, we just went over uh, in there. And uh, uh, you can keep posted with everything that's going on in the church right there with that, with that app. Father, as we come to today's text, uh, as John gives us this, what we could call a growth chart for our spiritual growth, Lord, help us to make an honest evaluation of just where we stand in our walk with you. Lord, are we little children? Are we adults? Are we living uh, in victory? Are we living in defeat? Father, help us to to be honest with ourselves and and then look at how we're to progress, how you want us to progress through through, uh, the power we have in Jesus Christ. Father, I, I know... Uh, that this text should convict us all to to be more like Christ and to be living in the place of uh, the promised land that you have for us, a a land of victory and joy and peace. And so, Lord, let us measure ourselves today. Let us see where we're at, and Lord, show us how we can jump up on that chart all the way to the top. So, Lord, I just ask you to teach us these truths today and ask you that you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit I ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right, if you will, turn in your Bibles, and we'll be in 1 John chapter number 2 today. 1 John chapter number 2, and we'll just be looking at a few verses here. When, I was, when our boys were young, uh, we would make a growth chart on the door frame. I don't know if any of y'all ever did that, and we would mark, we would have these various markers, we would have it at four feet and four and a half feet and five feet and five and a half feet. And then every few months we would put the boys up against the wall and we would, we would make a mark there and, and see just how far they had advanced on that growth chart. And it was amazing how fast our boys grew. I mean, they grew really fast. You can see how tall Nathan is now. So you, you can see how he went right up to the top of that chart. Well, today in this short text in First John, John is going to give us a growth chart uh, for our spiritual growth, for, for Christians. And so uh, we can look, he's going to give us some markers, and we can look where we're at and see exactly where we stand in our walk with Jesus Christ. And I, I got to tell you, he's already set the bar pretty high, hasn't he? I mean, he's said in chapter 1 that we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And he tells us also that we're to walk just as Jesus walked, that we're to walk keeping the commandments, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. And what's the spirit of the law? We learned last week that the spirit of the law is love, agape love. And so we're to walk all the time in love. And so those are are pretty high standards. And, I mean, you look at them and you say, wow, I don't think, you know, I don't think I meet those standards. I don't think many Christians do. Uh, uh, but don't feel bad. Uh, you're not the only one that doesn't meet that standard. A lot of us don't meet that standard. But some of us, or some of you, are further along in the process than others. So what I want to do is take a look at this growth chart, and I want us to mark down where we stand and uh, then see maybe how we can advance on this chart. So look with me beginning and. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 12. He says, I write to you little children, because you are forgi- for your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Then he says in verse number 13, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And then he says, I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Who's the wicked one? The devil and his demons. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. He says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. And he says, I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. 
So if you look at this chart that he gives us here in verses 12 through 14, there are three stages, pretty obvious stages. What are they? Where do you start out? As a little child in the faith. So, so we all start out as little children. And then we grow up a little bit and we become young men and young women in the faith. And then as we advance to full maturity, we become fathers in the faith or mothers in the faith, you could say, or elders in the faith. But we all start out as little children. All of us start out as little children. And oh, man, what a blessed day that is when we get saved. I mean, wasn't that like the greatest day of your life when you got saved? I mean, didn't you think you had it made once you knew Jesus Christ and uh, the burden of your sin had been lifted off your back and, and you realized that your sins were forgiven and, you, I mean, you understood John 3, 16. You didn't understand anything else in the Bible, but you understood, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And you had believed in him and you had everlasting life and you were so excited. And, and not only was God just a God among gods, you knew God as your own father. Remember how when you first got saved, you realized that, that God was real and that he's your father? How exciting was that? And, and, and so you exalted him in your mind as your father and, and, and what a father he is. I mean, the creator of the universe the one who owns a thousand, the cattle on a thousand hills. He's your father. And you came to that place where you realized that, and man, what a happy day that was. And what great peace and joy you found. And all your troubles were gone. And, and uh, health and prosperity forever. Right? You remember that when you first got saved? That's the way you felt. But not so fast. I mean... It wasn't the way we thought it was going to be, was it? We found out very quickly that we have enemies, that we have enemies. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I've met the greatest, the greatest, my greatest enemy of all is myself, my own flesh. And I found out what an enemy I had. Also found out that the world is my enemy. The world is my enemy. I mean, the world hates Christ. This world system hates Christ. And so when I became a believer, I found out that this world hates me. This world used to love me. Uh, my flesh loved me. Man, I let my flesh do anything it wanted to do. And so my, the world and the flesh were my friends. But then all of a sudden I found the Lord and no longer were they my friends. And then I found out I had, I had another enemy. You know, I used to think of the devil as this guy with these horns this red little devil, you know, with his pitchfork. And, you know, he was kind of a guy we could all laugh at. But I found out very quickly when I got born again that the devil is real. And all of a sudden, the devil who was my friend, he really never showed me he existed until right before I got saved. But all of a sudden, I found out he was real. And you know what? He hated me. And he wanted to destroy me. Because I had been serving him, and now I was serving a new master. I was serving the Lord. And so the devil took the world and my own flesh, and he began to use it against me. And he became Satan, the accuser. And whenever I fell, and man, did I fall early on in my walk. I still fall in my walk. But whenever, when, when I first got saved, and for years after I first got saved, whenever I fell, the devil, devil came at me as Satan, the accuser. And he would come to me and say, look at you. You think you're a child of the Holy Father? I say, Holy Father, the sinless Father? You think you're a child of God and you did what you just did? There's no way you can be saved. And then... You know what? He sent legalists along that just, just verified that. And they would tell me, man, if you don't do this or you don't do that, or if you, if you, you better do this or you better do that, and if you don't do that, then you're, you, hey, you're not in fellowship with God. You can't be saved and be doing the things you're doing. And so we have this battle. We become little children, and, and man, things don't get good. They, our troubles have only just begun. 
And we have this great battle waging within ourselves. And what a battle it is. You know, Paul kind of has his own growth chart. His growth chart is over in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8, and it kind of parallels what we're going to be looking at here today in John because he had these same struggles. He went through the same growth process. I think he went through it a lot faster than you and I have gone through it. But he went through this process where he went from being a little child in the faith all the way to being a mature father in the faith. So I want to follow that for just a minute. So head back with me. Hold your place there in 1 John. And head back with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And I want to pick up at verse number 18. And this is the struggle that Paul had. And I want you to see if you can relate to this. If you can't relate to any of these things, then you haven't been saved. And we want to get you saved. We want you to have that happy day where you say, man, I know the Father, my sins are forgiven. We want to get you there. If You're not there today. But if you've gotten there, you either have had this struggle or you're having this struggle or some of you are going to have this struggle again that Paul had. So listen to the struggle that he had. And beginning in verse number 18, he says, For I know that is in me that is in my flesh, in my human nature. The Bible never uses the phrase sin nature, but it talks a lot about the sin nature. The sin nature is your flesh. Now, here's what I want you to see. When you get saved, when you truly get born again, you get a total new nature, perfect nature. Do you realize that that nature never gets tainted? It is absolutely perfect forever. It's the you that will carry on into eternity forever. You've been given the divine seed and divinity is holy, perfectly holy. And that divine seed, that new nature that God gives you is always perfect. It will forever be perfect. But you know, if I were God, I would have done this thing differently. I would have not only redeemed my nature, I would have redeemed, if I was God, I would have redeemed your flesh. But see, God wants us to go through this process. He wants us to realize what Christ did for us. You know, you don't really realize what Christ has done for you until you get saved and you fight this battle that Paul's talking about right here. Now, here's the battle. Let's go on. He says, for I know that in me that is, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing. What's nothing mean in the Greek? Nothing. There's nothing good about your flesh. It will never be good. And you will always have it. So don't let anybody tell you that somehow the flesh gets redeemed. The flesh doesn't get redeemed. And you're lying to yourself if you say it does. How many of you in this room have ever had, since you've been saved, had evil thoughts? Don't raise your hand. All of you. And if you say you didn't, then you're lying. So that's an evil thought. We have all have evil thoughts because we have a flesh. So, for I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For, to, for the will is present with me because I have a new nature. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. How do I fix this? Because here's the issue. Look at verse 19. Have any of you had this struggle? For the good that I will do, I do not do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I practice. Have you ever gone through that stage? Are you going through that now where you're doing things that you don't want to do and you, you hate what you're doing? Well, that's, that's the battle. Now, correlate that or compare that to what John says over in 1 John 3, 9. He says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Whoa, wait a minute. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now, the perfectionist gospel people love 1 John 3, 9. But they sin. So they're lying to themselves if they say they don't sin. 
And if they sin at all, then they've not been born of God. Now, how do you, how do you make that work? If, here is Paul saying, for the good that I will do, I do not do, but the evil, the sin that I will not do, that I practice. Was he saved? Yes, he was saved. So how can John say whoever has been born of God does not sin? Because what was John speaking about? He was speaking about the new nature. See, the new nature does not sin. It never sins. But you still got the flesh, and the flesh warth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. Now, verse number 20 says, Now, if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it. It's, no long, it's not my new nature sinning, it's my old nature sinning. But the sin that dwells in me, in my flesh, that's what my sin nature, don't tell me you don't have a sin nature. Everybody has a sin nature. A little baby doesn't come out smiling, they come out screaming. And they keep screaming the rest of their lives. And so they, we are born with a sin nature. And verse, they're cute. Don't get me wrong, if you've got a baby, your baby's cute. I'm not saying your baby's not cute. I've had people say, my baby doesn't have a sin nature. Well, yours are different from mine is all I can say. Verse number 21. I find in a law that is, uh, I, I find in a law that evil is present with me. Wherever I go, I can't get rid of evil. The one who wills to do good. For I delight, now watch this, I delight in the law of God according to the new nature, the inward man. See, when we get born again, we get a new nature that is absolutely sinless. And when we get that new nature, the law is written on our heart. And so we love the law and we hate evil. But our flesh still loves evil. Our flesh still loves to do evil. But I see another law in my members, verse 23, waging against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity, uh, into the captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So here's what happens. We get born again. Oh, happy day. It's a great day. And we know God is our Father. And we know our sins have been forgiven. And we think all our troubles are over. But all our troubles have just begun. Because evil is still present in us. And evil is still present in the world. And Satan is against us. And he will use the world and the flesh to get us to fall. And when we fall and we will fall, he will taunt us over our sin. And so a lot of people go around that mountain over and over and over again. What we do, we, we sin. And we told that we fall out of fellowship with God because we sin. That's, and, 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 and so we think, you know, God's mad at us. And God's not going to have anything to do with it until we get rid of that sin. And so what do we do? We do our very best and we tell God. I, how many times have you gone to the Lord and said, God, I'm sorry I did. I will never do that again. I will never do that again. I did something in traffic I shouldn't have done. And I'm never going to do that again. I promise you, Lord, I'll never do it again. Then the Lord just gets you in worse traffic. And Satan brings some jerk in front of you. And there you go again, waving at him. And I'm not going to go any further with that. It's not a friendly way. And I, these are minor things. I mean, we fall into a lot worse things than that. And we live in this spiritual wilderness. And we go around that mountain over and over and over again. We're just little babies. And we cry out like Paul cries out right here in verse 24. We finally realize, oh, wretched man that I am. I'm wretched. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And we're ready to give up. We're just ready to give up this Christian thing. I mean, we hate it almost. I wish I'd never become a Christian. It's made me miserable. 
You ever come to that point? And we're at the end of our rope. Good. That's exactly where you want to be. When you get to the end of the rope, you let go. Oh, wretched man that I am, you let go. And you guess where you fall? You fall into the arms of Jesus Christ. It's only when you let go. It's only when you let go that you can cross out of the wilderness and into the promised land. It's only when you let go and say, I can't do this Christian thing myself. I'm, I, I, woe is me. I'm wretched. I have evil living in me. I don't have the power to quit sinning. It's only when you reach that point that you can advance in your growth with Jesus Christ where you can advance and you can become a young man or a young woman in Christ. Living where? Not in the wilderness, but in the promised land of blessing. That's where God wants us to live. So let's look at the next stage. Let's go back to, to 1 John. Let's see what it means to be a young man or a young woman in Christ. No longer, oh, wow, wretched man that I am. I just can't do this. So I'm a young man, a victorious young man or young woman. Look at, look at verse uh, 13 and verse number 14. He says in verse 13, I write to you, young men, because of what? You have overcome the wicked one. You know, there are people who think you can't overcome the devil. The devil's too powerful. They make him out to be way too powerful. You can overcome the devil. Listen to the last part of verse 14. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, how, how, how do you know you're moving up the spiritual chart? How do you know you're growing in Jesus Christ? When you have overcome the devil, when he doesn't have anything left with you, when you've had victory over the devil, and you do that by becoming strong in the word of God and believing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Listen, we can read this word. I know people that read and study this word much more than I do, and they're still, some of them aren't even saved, and some of them are still little children. They're little babies. And they never get past that because they never really believe what the Word says. Or they take the Word out of context. And they get little verses that tickle their ears, but they never really have the power that's given to them through the Word. And so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so as just as Jesus, Jesus gave us that pattern. When he was tempted, what did he throw at the devil? He threw the word at the devil because he believed the word because he is the word. And that's what we got to do. We've got to follow that devil. We've got to resist him with the word. And what's James tell us in James chapter 5 or James chapter 4? Resist the devil and what will he do? He will flee from you. You resist the devil with the word and he will flee from you. When he tempts you, you resist him with the word. When he accuses you, you resist him with the word. And you don't resist him by your self-effort. You don't resist him by some cantation that you have. I rebuke you, devil. You resist him by the word. By knowing the word and believing the word. And what's the theme of the word of God? What is the theme of the word of God? It is salvation. Salvation, perfect salvation. And where do you get perfect salvation? What gives you perfect salvation? The blood of Jesus Christ. You overcome the devil by the blood of Jesus Christ. By believing that you're sprinkled or covered in the blood and that there's power in the blood to, to defeat the flesh, the world, and the devil. Go with me over. To Revelation, we'll jump ahead and get a little preview of where we're heading here soon. The book of Revelation. And go to chapter number 12. 
Revelation chapter number 12. He says, it's the last book of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, it's chapter 12. And look at verse number 10, beginning at verse number 10. You, you want some really good news today? I'm not going to give it to you right now. I'm about to give you some bad news, especially if you're a little child. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our Lord and the power of Christ have come. Let me ask you a question. When did the salvation and strength of the Lord and the kingdom of God get its greatest victory? When was that? When Jesus comes back to this earth? No way. When's the victory? When's the, when was the victory won? At the cross. Paul says in Colossians 2, Jesus triumphed over all his enemies at the cross. At the cross. Now, Revelation chapter 12 is not in context. And I'm going to make a case when we get to Revelation. We're not going to exegete that today. But that, that's the time that is being referred to here is the time when Satan fell. He fell from heaven. Satan, what's the word Satan mean? It means accuser. Let me ask you something. What can Satan accuse the saints of now that we're covered in the blood? What does he have against you now that you're covered in the blood? Absolutely nothing. So he has no access to heaven because there's nothing to accuse you of. If you're a born-again believer, you've been perfected forever. Look at verse number 11. So they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. How do you become a young man or a young woman in the faith? By the blood of the lamb, by appropriating the blood to your life. Now, everybody who becomes a little child appropriates the blood to their life. You know, people are all the time saying, man, all we need is a simple gospel. Well, the simple gospel will get you saved. If you believe that God is your father, all of a sudden God is no longer just some God among gods, that he's your father and that you believe that he gave his only begotten son and he, and he died for you on a cross and you look to that cross for your salvation, you will be saved. But you've got to come to a point where you believe this word and you believe in the power of the blood and you overcome the devil by the blood. You overcome your flesh by the blood. You overcome the world by the blood. That's how we overcome. That's how Paul overcame. Go back with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I mean, here was Paul. He's fighting this daily, constant battle between his flesh and his new nature. And he's losing. Everything he doesn't want to do, that's what he's doing. And everything he wants to do, he can't seem to do it. And, and he's losing. Now, there are expositors who will say that that passage we just looked at in Romans chapter 7 describes all of Paul's life and it describes all of the Christian's life. I get it. I get where they're coming from. Because there are a lot of people who are prone to revert back to their childhood. There are a lot of people who, when the trial's stiff enough, they won't appropriate the word to their life. They won't, the, the, the trial will get so hard that they don't believe, and so they go back and they begin to cry out to God like a little baby. They can't handle it. And, and, and a lot of us fall into that category. And, 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 they, and, you, and when you do, when you go back, you go back to the wilderness struggle. You're back in the wilderness. So I believe there are some people who never leave the wilderness. You know, I think most Christians never leave the wilderness. They never, they never become young men and women. They never, certainly never become fathers. They live their entire Christian life in the wilderness, struggling with legalism. And remember what the author of Hebrews said, beware unless you don't enter the rest of God and head into the promised land. You, at some point in your Christian walk, you've got to come out of that wilderness. 
But I believe there's times where the trials get so intense that we fall back into the wilderness. And then we come back into the promised land. So there's some people that go back and forth. There's some people that never go back. Man, they, they come to passages like we're looking at today and they say, I'm never going back. I don't care what comes my way. I'm never going back to being a little child. And I got to believe if anybody ever did that, it was the Apostle Paul. So I don't think this is a struggle Apostle Paul had any longer. I don't think he struggled with this. You know what Apostle Paul struggled with? He struggled with people stoning him. He struggled with people wanting to kill him. That's what he struggled with because he was a father and he was out there fighting the battle because God could use him in a mighty way because he wasn't a little child. And God can't use any of us as long as we're a little child. We're still struggling with this unbelief. We're not truly trusting the Father. We're not truly trusting in the blood, and we've never gone into the promised land. So here's how Paul overcame. He overcame by finally trusting in the Lord. He cries out, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, I love it. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Who will deliver me? I thank God through Jesus Christ. When Paul reached that point where he could just thank Christ for what Christ had done and what Christ was going to do and what Christ was doing in his life, he had crossed over from the wilderness into the promised land. He all of a sudden wasn't a little baby anymore. He was a young man. Now, Paul was a middle-aged man, so we're not talking about maturity in, in, in age here. We're talking about spiritual maturity. We're talking about, and, and spiritual maturity is not measured by time, it's measured by choice. And so Paul made a decision once and for all, I am going to believe what God is teaching me. I'm going to believe what God's word says. And I thank God through Jesus Christ the Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So I'm not going to let the, my flesh rule me anymore. I, there's power in the blood. And when I do fall, look at verse number one of chapter eight. He came to this conclusion that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Anybody who tells you that somehow you can fall out of fellowship with God or you can be condemned by God or God's mad at you or God doesn't love you anymore is a liar if you're a born-again believer. And you're lying to yourself. I'm going to tell you who's telling you that when you're hearing it in your ears. It's the devil. It's the accuser. And you've got to resist the accuser, and you've got to set in stone that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none whatsoever. And there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Look at verse 13 of Romans chapter 7. He says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You'll hang out into the wilderness until you're dead. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Look, if you're a little child of God, one of those little children, you're going you're gonna to live forever. You're going to live forever. But if you don't put your faith, set it in stone, and make a decision to truly believe in this word and rest in the finished work of Christ and the power of his spirit over your sin, then you will live the rest of your life in a spiritual wilderness. And that's not where God wants you. Where does God want you? He wants you in the promised land. Why did the Israelites never get into the, the first generation didn't get into the promised land? Because of one word, unbelief. And listen, I know we can mouth with our words that we believe something. But it's through the fire that we learn whether we really believe it or not. 
It's when we fall into sin and Satan accuses us, we determine whether or not we're really going to believe God or we're going to believe Satan. Well, you, you, you're a sinner. You can never quit sinning. God's mad at you. God condemns you for this. You're not, you can't be a child of God and sin like this. Who's that coming from? It's not coming from God. And as long as you're going to listen to that kind of stuff, almost said a bad word. As long as you're going to listen to that kind of stuff, you're going to be, you're going to be in the wilderness. And you will never be in the promised land. And so we get into the, we get out of the wilderness and we get into the promised land. And man, if we really start grasping those truths and start getting those victories, we move from being a young man to being a father or a mother or an elder in the faith. Let's go to, back to John and let's look at the last mark on the chart. 1 John chapter 2 again. Look down at verse 13. And he just repeats himself here a couple of times. He says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Sounds pretty simple. He says in verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. He's the him. What's it mean to we know him? There's that word, and again, I don't like boring you with a Greek, but that's not just gnosis, it's epinosis. It's gnosis piled upon gnosis. It's not just knowing facts. It's knowing him in a close relationship. We've known him who is from the beginning. You know what? You can go back as far as your finite mind will take you in the time, and there he is. Not was. He is from the beginning. He's forever. You can go forward as far as your finite mind will take you, and there he is. I mean, that's why Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, could be friends with Moses, because he is. He is. He's not bound by time. He's friends with people right now that haven't even been born. He's friends with you in heaven. You're not there yet, but he is. He is. Blow your mind, but he is. He is from the beginning, and you know him as the one who is from the beginning, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last, Jesus Christ, almighty God. Oh, man, no longer is he just some historical figure who died for your sins when you first got saved. Oh, well, yeah, there's a Jesus. He died for my sins on a cross, and... And, and now my sins are forgiven and I know the Father is my God. i tell you what happens when you know him who is from the beginning. You know Jesus as almighty God. You know him, you know him as, as the almighty God, your Savior and God. And you know him in a close relationship. In a close relationship, he walks with me and he talks with me. He calls me by my name. You know, I mean, I know him in a close relationship. You know, I love what Jesus said in John chapter 15. He says, he tells his disciples at the end of this ministry, he says, no longer do I call you servants, but my friends, but my friends. Had they quit becoming servants? No, they were going into the greatest service of all. But their friendship with Christ trumped their service to Christ. You know, anybody who makes their ministry more important than Christ is, is not a father in the faith. The most important thing you have is your relationship with Christ. And the stronger your relationship is with Christ, the greater your ministry is going to be. But ministry doesn't, doesn't make you a father. 
The relationship makes you a father. And the service is the outpouring of that relationship with God when he's your father. Yeah, when Jesus becomes your friend, he's not some far aloof God. You know what? You catch yourself and you're praying, man, oh, I hope God up there hears me. God is in here. Jesus is inside you. He's with you. And you know that if you know him and you're a father. And when you know him as a, you're, you're a father in the faith because of your knowledge of Christ, then you've arrived. You've arrived. And let me tell you what, the, this is the truth about fathers. Fathers never go back to the wilderness. Young men and young women go back and forth between the wilderness and the promised land, but fathers never go back. And that's why God can use them because God knows they're never going to go back. They, God knows that even if they're going to be crucified upside down, they're going to praise the Lord as Peter did. Even if they're going to be thrown on the island of Pappas like John, they're going to write the book of Revelation because they're fathers. And they know him and he's their friend and they, a friend they would ne- who sticks closer than a, bro- than a brother, a friend whom they would never betray. And that's where Paul heads in the last part of our text in Romans. Go back with Romans. I mean, go back to Romans. And we read these passages, and little children read these passages, and young men read these passages, but only the fathers understand these passages. And only to the fathers are these passages real. I mean, let me, let me just read a few of them. This is where, where you, you've advanced in your faith. Look at chapter 8 of Romans. Look down at verse number 28. We all quote this. But most, you know, most of the Christians I know don't really believe this because they're not fathers. They're not mothers. They're not elders in the faith. They don't really believe this. And we know, fathers know, we fathers, that all things work together for good of those who love the God and to those who are called according to his purpose. We know it. We know it. I, I mean, a lot of you got this on your refrigerator. You got T-shirts with this on the, uh, you wear it around on your back. But then the first thing that comes your way, why is this happening to me? How could this be happening to me? Instead of saying, whoa, God's doing something good here. You know, when you've been a father, and sometimes that does take some time, and you've seen Christ work in your life over and over and over again, bad news can come your way, and you say, man, what's God up to? He's up to something cool here. This isn't a bad deal. He's got something really good for me. And you really believe that verse. You don't just want to believe it. You believe it. Because in verse 31, you know this. What then... What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Can the devil be against us if God is for me? No. Can disease hurt me if God is for me? No. Can death hurt me if God is for me? No. Solomon says it's better to die than to be born. It's better that your day of death is better than your day of birth. Man, let me tell you what. There ain't been a soul that's gone to glory that wanted to come back here. And I guarantee you, when you cross over, you're not going to want to come back here. But fathers believe that. Nothing can be against us because, hey, they could kill us, but they sent us to glory. He goes on, he says, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how should he not with him, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Cadillacs, Mercedes, mansions. That's what he's talking No, he's talking about, you know, fathers understand that? He gives you everything you need to serve him. Everything you need to be his friend. He's not going to leave his friends in a bind. He's not going to leave you without the supplies and goods you need to to do the ministry that he's called you to do. He's not going to ever leave you or forsake you. And you know that. So you never wonder, you never, when God calls you to do something, you never say, well, I can't do that because of this. No, you say, you'd better believe I can do that because God can supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. So I don't worry about that. 
And then, you know, here's where you're resisting the devil. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Man, I don't care what you've done. If you're God's elect, who can bring a charge against you? Because God is the one who justifies you. How does he justify you? By his blood. How much justification does he give you? Perfect justification. You are absolutely perfect in the eyes of God if you're a born-again believer. So who can bring a charge against you? And he kind of sums it all up with this great passage. If you know Christ and you're a father, listen to this. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. You know, that's a lot. We're not just victors. We're more than victors. Take the greatest, take Napoleon. You're greater than Napoleon if you're a father in Jesus Christ and you really believe this word. You're not a tyrant like he is, but you're, you're more than, con- than con- a conqueror. He said, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we, him, him who was from the beginning, him whom we know because we're fathers. We know him in a close relationship. And because I know him in a close relationship, look, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor bad, evil angels, nor principalities, or powers. I don't care if Trump gets elected or Hillary gets elected. She can't hurt me. I don't, I don't, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. I don't worry about what's to come to the United States of America. I actually do. But I'm not worried about what's going to happen to me. What's going to happen to me? All things are going to work together for my good. That's what's going to happen to me. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. And the devil's a created thing, by the way. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If we truly know him, we truly know believe those things if you're not a father or a mother or an elder and I'm using those terms synonymously or as, as the same term if you're not one if you're not an elder in Jesus Christ then those words are just platitudes to you I can tell you you're, you're kidding yourself you don't really believe them and and you don't really know Christ in a close relationship because if you know Christ in a close relationship You're advancing. But if you do, and you're matured to the point where you do know him, you really know him, then you're of great use to your king. Paul talks about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And I thought, I know he's speaking about the church. Vessels of silver and vessels of clay. Vessels that can be used for mighty works. Vessels that can't be used at all. You know, look at the chart. Be honest with yourself. Where do you stand? How tall are you in the faith? You know, your little crying baby tossed to and fro living in the wilderness. You want to get out of there. Are you a young man, a young woman who's overcome the devil and you really believe that the, in the power of the blood? And have you gone on to where the, the most important thing in your life is your relationship to Jesus Christ? Have you reached that point? If you have, then you're a father. You're a father in the faith. So where do you stand? Where do you stand? You know what's really cool about God's chart? In one day, one day, one moment, you can go from being a little child to being a father in the faith. One day. Because, as I said earlier, spiritual Growth 
is not based upon time. It's based upon choice. Choice. We simply choose to believe in the power of the blood and we act on that belief. We mark it down and we never go back. We set it in stone and we never choose, no matter what comes our way, we say, I'm going to believe that I'm covered in the blood and there's no condemnation and that all things are going to work together for my good. We simply choose to make Jesus our king. Our king. I don't know many people who have done that. We say he's our king. We sing he's our king. But have we truly made him our king? But when we make him our king, you know what he makes us? His friends. His friends. And when we become his friends, we become mature in the faith. We become more than conquerors. We become victors in Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you for your word and what you've shown us today through this text. And there's so much great news here, Lord. Lord, I know that it's not your desire that any of us live in a spiritual wilderness, but that we all live in the promised land. And not only do we move on from being little children to be young men and adults in the faith, Lord, but we move on to be fathers and mothers and elders in the faith to a point of spiritual maturity, Lord. Lord, that's a choice. Show us that, Lord. Show us the, just the blessings of knowing you as a friend. And not just some, as some historical figure, Lord. Just bring us all to that point, Lord, where we are spiritually mature and we can do mighty things in the work of your kingdom. Lord, I just ask for that grace and we thank you for all the grace we have through Jesus Christ and his blood. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.